Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazel. I am the pastor here and the lead pastor here, and it is great to see all of you here. Um, if you're visiting with us, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. I hope that I get a chance to, to meet you and talk with you and hear a little bit of your story. Thank you to all you who are joining us online as well. Hey, we're continuing a series we started last week that we've called Tell Me Something Good. And the reason we need to hear something good is there's, even as Sean prayed about, there's a lot of bad things that are going on in life. And we need to hear some good news. And so today, I really do hope that you're going to hear some of the best news that you could ever hear. And we're going to hear some of this from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And here's what that passage says. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we need you right now. We need you to be at work in us so that this wouldn't be water off a duck's back. But as Sean's already prayed, that it would really be seed that would be planted in our souls and it would produce fruit for your glory. Fruit that would really help us to grow in your ways and fruit that will impact our community for their good. And Spirit, most of all, open our eyes to see the beauty, the wonder, the grace, the kindness, the love of Christ today, that we could see him more clearly than we ever have and recognize that our debt is paid as we look to him in faith. And Jesus, we pray this in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the one true God. Amen. So I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. We've probably all heard someone say that to us, or maybe we've even said that phrase before. And sometimes when we hear it, the person follows up with, which would you like to hear first, the good news or the bad news? Well, recently I came across an article by Daniel Pink. He's the, if you don't know who that is, he is the author of seven, count them, seven New York Times bestsellers. And he's done some research into this, and apparently there are multiple psychological studies demonstrating that most people prefer to hear the bad news first and then hear the good news. Maybe that's because we want to cut down on the worry factor. You know, if someone says, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news, here's the good news first, then we're so worried about the bad news that we're not actually listening to the good news. 
Or perhaps it's because we're hardwired to have happy endings. And we, so we want to hear that, and they lived happily ever after at the end. Peradventure, we simply like to be soothed by good news after we've heard the bad news. But for whatever reason, most of us seem to prefer to hear bad news first and then hear the good news. With that in mind, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The bad news is, even though this sermon series is called Tell Me Something Good, I'm going to tell you the bad news first before you hear the good news. The good news is, apparently that's the way you want to hear it. Hopefully you saw what I did there. Okay. So, here it is. The first point we're going to make. Here's the bad news. Sin is a debt. Sin is a debt that must be paid. This is bad news. Sin is a debt that must be paid. Now we need to start by defining what we mean when we say the word sin, because some people fall into the trap of thinking that sins, is, it only equals those things like murder or adultery or theft. But really, sin is anything that we do, anything that we say, anything that we think that goes contrary to the way God designed us to do, say, or think. You see, God created human beings in his image. And, and, and there's a lot to that, but part of what that means is that we are to reflect God's character. We're to reflect God's goodness back to him and to each other. But the problem is that for each and every one of us, the reflection of God is distorted in what we reflect, right? It, it's like a, a reflection in a funhouse mirror. It's not right. It's distorted. And so our reflection of God's goodness misrepresents who he is. God is perfect in his goodness. He is perfect in his character. But we do things and say things and think things that God would never do, that he would never say, that he would never think. All those snide and cutting remarks that we think are so funny but cut people down the size. Those lustful looks. Those covetous desires to have more and not to be content those self-righteous judgments when we look at other people who aren't as moral as we are. Those are just some of the ways that everyone in this room sins. And sin is a debt. We see that in the New Testament in various places, but primarily we see it in when the Lord taught when the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and he said, pray this way, and one of the things he says, Matthew 6, 12, is that we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And in, in Luke's version of this prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. So we see that it's not financial debt he's talking about. He's talking about sin. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So sin is a debt. And we see that in the passage that I just read a few moments ago from Colossians. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, verse 14, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Sin causes there to be a record of debt for anyone who commits sin, okay? Uh, one of the best books on forgiveness, and that's what we're going to be talking about some today, is a book by Tim Keller called Forgive. And there's a great quote that demonstrates uh, this, this idea that sins create a record. In fact, that's the way it starts. Sins create a record, a residue of liability or obligation. For example, if someone steals something from you or wrongs you in some significant way and is caught, he might say, well, that happened last week. That was all in the past. You, however, would feel very strongly that the sin against you created a continuing debt, liability, or obligation that does not pass away with time. The person who wronged you continues to owe you Sins create a record. They do not just pass into the air and vanish. Think about it. There are all kinds of ways we show this idea of debt in our conversations about when we've wronged someone or someone has wronged us, right? Like if we wrong someone and then we go up to them and we say, hey, I owe you an apology. That's the language of debt. Or when someone's crying out for justice against someone who's committed a crime and they say that person must pay for what they've done. That's the language of debt. And even the idea of paying restitution, a, a payment for an injury or for a loss or for wrongdoing, that is the language of debt. So we all sin and all sin is a debt that must be paid. And this is where the bad news gets really, really bad. Because every one of us sins. Every one of us does these things that are against what God has said. And we might be tempted to think, well, my sin debt isn't all that bad. I mean, I'm a good, upstanding citizen of Sumter in the United States, and I'm, I'm not that bad you know what, I bet I only sin three times a day. Well, if I do the calculations right, if you sin three times a day, that's 1,095 sins a year, except for this year, because it's a leap year, so that's 1,098. In just 10 years, that would be over 10,000 sins. Now imagine going before a judge 
with thousands of traffic tickets. Now, traffic tickets aren't that big of a deal. Most of us who have driven have gotten one sometime in our life, some of us more than others. They're not that big of a deal, but if you had 10,000 of them, I don't think the judge is just going to let you off with a warning. And on the relational side of this, think about this. If someone insulted you, I mean really just knew what button to push, knew what really got under your skin, and they said that to you three times a day, every day, day after day, week after week, year after year, I do not think that you would say, no big deal. And even if they said, oh, I'm so sorry, was I hurting your feelings? I don't think that you would be satisfied with that. The more we wrong someone, the longer the record of debt gets. And when we're talking about sin against God, wow, God knows all things. And he sees all things. The God who is very aware of every time we deviate from anything that he said. That God is the God we sin against. And we have a debt. And we also need to understand that that debt we owe God is greater because it is God we are sinning against. Right? I mean, it's it's bad enough if I sin against one of you. That's bad. But when we're talking about God, it's even amplified and multiplied, right? As uh, Jonathan Edwards said in his five discourses on important subjects nearly concerning the great affair of the soul's eternal salvation. You've got to love those titles. He says this, Nothing is more agreeable to the common sense of mankind than that sins committed against anyone must be proportionally heinous to the dignity of the being offended and abused. You guys know this. If, if I came to one of you and threatened you with bodily harm, in South Carolina, I lo- actually looked this up, I could be fined $500 or serve a jail sentence of up to 30 days or both. But if I threatened the President of the United States, I, would serve, I could serve up to five years in prison a maximum fine of $250,000, and even after I get out, I could be subject to three years of supervision to make sure that I don't do it again once I'm out. It really does depend on who we're sinning against, how big the debt actually gets. And we're talking about God. I mean, if we owe a debt of some sort to our neighbors when we sin against them, how much more do we owe the infinite, eternal God? The one who is absolutely perfect in all of his goodness. The one who created us and the universe around us. The one who sustains every heartbeat, every breath, every molecule. 
the one who set up the moral code in the first place that we're supposed to live by, the one who intimately knows everything we do and everything we say and everything we think, the one who is the ultimate just judge overall. No wonder Paul says in Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. You know why we're dead? Because we're buried under the dead of our sin. That's the bad news that I need to share with you. Are you ready for some good news? Now this is some good, good news. Sin is a debt that must be paid. Jesus paid the debt of sin for all who believe. That is amazing. Jesus paid the debt of sin for all who believe. Let's look at this passage again from Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, And you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, it wasn't just some random thing that happened that Jesus went to the cross. No, he was there for debt cancellation. Your debt cancellation, if you believe. The record of sin debt on our account completely canceled. I don't think you realize just how big of a deal this is. It's not like God could just say, oh, you're in your head, uh, you're in debt over your head. Uh, well, no biggie. And then he just takes our record of debt and tears it up and throws it in the trash and there's no consequences for him whatsoever. That's just not how debt works. No, whenever there's a debt, the debt has to be paid by someone. Someone always pays a debt. Think about it this way. I love coffee. Imagine going to a coffee shop and you get the coffee that you like, whatever that is, whether it's that fancy stuff or it's just, you know, black like your soul. And then you just take... I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, let, me, let me go back. So yeah, you get it just the way you like it. The coffee, the just the way you like it. And you're just getting ready to take a sip when this guy bumps into you, knocks the coffee from your hand, and it spills all over the floor. And Mr. Bumper says, I'm so sorry. Now, at that point, you have a choice. You could say, hey, dude, you owe me a cup of coffee. You could. Or you could say, it's okay. I've got it. And you either pay for another cup yourself, which means you're out the first cup of coffee and the money that you paid for the first cup of coffee, and now you're out money for the second cup of coffee. Or... You could go without coffee. Suffering. A loss. 
of not only the money that you paid, but also the loss of that sweet, sweet nectar of life. (laughs) But either way, there is a cost, right? And it's either going to be paid by Mr. Bumper or it's going to be paid by you. But the debt is going to be paid one way or another. And that's just for a cup of coffee. We're talking about the debt of sin here. That Think about the record of debt each one of us has built up over time. What must it cost God to cancel a debt like that? It cost him a lot. God canceled the record of our debt by nailing it to the cross. And I know there are lots of different ways that this passage has been interpreted, but I cannot help but think this. That record of debt is represented by Jesus because Jesus is the one that was nailed there. As as 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or if we were to just tweak it a little bit, For our sake God made Jesus to be our debt, who had no debt, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Tell me that's not some good news. But there may be someone in here who's saying, but Stuart, you know, I hear what you're saying, and that's really cool and everything, but you just don't know what I've done. My sin is so great. There is no way God could cancel that debt. We're Presbyterian, and so the part of what that means is that we have this uh, confession of faith that we use, and then and, uh, our Westminster Confession of Faith is a great document that has all kinds of good things, but there's nothing in there that I love more than this statement. Westminster Confession of Faith 15.4. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. There is no sin that is so great that if you go to God and say, I've only got one hope and that's Jesus, forgive me. There's no sin where God would look at you and say, I'm sorry, I just can't pay that debt. No, instead, like we said this morning, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful and just. Why is he just to forgive our sins? Because Jesus paid for that sin. And so we are forgiven. The debt is canceled. We are free. And not only just a few sins, not only just our past sins, it's not like God is saying, okay, you know what, I'll forgive the debt of all the sins you have until you believe, but after that, you're on your own. That's not how it works. And it's not like God is saying, you know, I will forgive your 
your little sins, but your big ones, you know, you're going to have to do something about that yourself. And it's not like God says, like the Roman Catholic Church sometimes says, like you, you, you can... You can go a certain amount, but if you don't ask for forgiveness, if you don't do some kind of thing to make up for your sin and you die before you've done that, then you're going to have to pay that off in purgatory. That's not truth. No. What we see in the scriptures is that Jesus pays the debt of all who believe and those who believe are forgiven of all their sins. All of them. Those who believe are forgiven of all their sins. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Not some, not most, not the majority, all. Jesus paid it all. John Owen, in his book, again, great title, The Doctrine of Justification by Faith Through the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ Explained, Confirmed, and Vindicated. I'm going to start naming my sermons like this. Um, All our sins, all of them, past, present, and to come, were at once imputed unto and laid upon Jesus Christ. He was, and here he's quoting from Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has made to meet on him the iniquities of us all. Or as John Flavel says in the method of grace, this is a marvelous deliverance. Look on it, which, look on it which way you will. Your ransom is paid and not a penny of it by you. It costs you nothing to procure your pardon. Your pardon is full and not one sin accepted out of it that you ever committed. You are freed and Jesus Christ condemned in your stead to procure your discharge. Your pardon is sealed in his blood and that forever so that you shall never anymore come under condemnation. Wow. That's why Paul says... In Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has taken that condemnation on your behalf. He paid your debt in full. (laughs) You know, um, when, when a debt is paid, no matter how much it may be, once it's paid, it no longer hangs over your head. You know, like when you pay off a mortgage... 
whether it's your house or a building or something like that, you know, some people, they take that note, that mortgage note, and they burn it to say, this no longer has any power over me. I am free. God didn't burn the record of our debt. He nailed it to the cross. Like a bill being punched through with a spike. Like a stamp on a bill saying, paid in full. And that's exactly what Jesus says in John 19.30. When he's saying his last words, he says, it is finished. In Greek, it's tetelestai, which means paid in full. Paid in full. That's your sin, if you believe. Paid in full. No more debt for you. It's all gone. Paid for by Jesus. Every lie, every impure thought, every careless word, every grumbling sentiment, every juicy piece of gossip shared, every deceitful act, every greedy grab, every grudge held, every moment of hypocrisy, every selfish desire, every lazy mood, every act of theft, every hateful inclination, every display of favoritism, every slanderous word, every fit of rage, every prayerless day, every stubborn resistance to what is right, every blind eye turned to help those in need, every apathetic attitude, every succumbance to lust, every prideful disposition, every abusive action, every judgmental critique. Every time we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, every fall into fornication, every neglect of responsibility, every dip into the occult, every perversion of what is good, every way we twist and distort what is true and right, every unwholesome word that comes out of our mouths, every time we value something more than we value God, every time we don't live in step with the good news of Jesus, every failure to love neighbor, every failure to love God, nailed to the cross. And it is no longer your debt because it's paid in full. You must not believe that. Because that ought to make every Presbyterian stand up and dance. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Now, some of you who are really astute, I have to say this because I know there's some very astute people in this congregation, and you're thinking, well, Stuart, if that's all true, then why do we ask for forgiveness? I mean, if the debt's already paid and we're already forgiven, why, why? Why should I ask for forgiveness? I mean, you said that Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 12 to pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So why do we do that if it's already paid in full? I am so glad you asked that question. You see, first of all, the three, three reasons, three reasons why, and then this is, this is almost the end. <laughs> forgiveness isn't actually needed until the sin is actually committed, right? I mean, 
I love this. In the Lord's Prayer, Thomas Watson says, it is absurd to think sin should be forgiven before it is committed. You don't forgive someone before they sin. You forgive them after they've sinned, right? And so the debt is paid, but we don't actually receive that until after we've sinned. That's why we ask. Second, forgiveness isn't just transactional. See, we've been talking a lot about debt, and that sounds very transactional, but there's more to it than just transaction. You know, you have a debt, Jesus paid your debt, now you're free from that debt, it's all over with. No, there's a relationship with God. That's what this is all about. It's not just about paying your debt. It's a relationship. And as a Gerhardus Voss once said, when a person truly believes on Christ, he is instantly justified for all eternity. That means he's made just as if he hasn't sinned. The guilt of all his sins, past, present, and future, is wholly canceled, and he is declared to be a righteous person by reason of Christ's blood and righteousness. So far as the judicial punishment of sin is concerned, the believer is justified once for all. Yet, the justified person still can, and daily does, commit sin in thought, word, and deed, by omission and by commission, and these daily failings cannot cancel his standing as a justified person. They cannot bring him into condemnation, but they can offend his heavenly Father and cause him to withdraw the light of his countenance from the person's soul for a time, for a time. They cannot destroy the believer's union with God, but they can interrupt and weaken his communion with God. Therefore, the believer is daily to confess his sins and to pray for God's pardon for his daily failings. I mean, in other words, and I'm going to summarize this very shortly, very briefly, that's what I meant to say. If, uh, if you've wronged someone, right, and that person says, I forgive you, there's still a relationship that has to be fully restored. And if we're not willing to restore that, that's a problem. And so admitting that we were wrong, that's part of how we restore that relationship. I was wrong. Some of the hardest words to say in the English language but some of the most beautiful words that we can hear is, I forgive you. Let's work on being reconciled. Third, there is a sense in which asking for, for, for forgiveness and knowing that we have received it from God is more for us than it is for God. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes asking for forgiveness is more about us than it is about God. See, God knows how prone we are to pride. <laughs> he, he knows how prone we are to shun humbling ourselves. He knows that we don't like that. And even though pride is dreadfully harmful to us and humility is distinctly helpful to us, we tend to go with the pride rather than the humility. And so God has built in to the very way we relate to him a way of humbling ourselves 
every single day. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive people who have or are indebted to me. It's a way of humbling yourself every single day so that you can recognize just how great this forgiveness really is. Hope that clears that up. All right, so your action point is this. Believe the good news that Jesus pays the debt of sin. Believe it. Now, I know um, for action points, believe is a hard one because you can't force someone to believe, right? I can't say, hey, believe I have a unicorn in my backyard and you just believe it because it's not true, right? You just can't believe it just because I say believe it. So if you do believe this already, you can pray, Jesus, I believe. Help me where I don't believe. Help me to believe this fully. And if you don't believe this at all, you can say, I really want that to be true, Jesus. Help me to believe it. Because I want my sin debt paid in full. And I tell you, when your soul is free from that sin debt, it is party time. Time to rejoice. Time to celebrate. So let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that our sin debt is paid in full by Jesus. And I'm going to ask that uh, we just take a moment to silently think about that. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for paying in full the debt of my sin. Thank you for paying in full the debt of the sins of so many people here in this room. And let every single one of us really wrestle with the truth that if we want our sin debt paid in full, all we have to do is to look to you in faith. Not do more, not work harder, believe. So Holy Spirit, help us to believe this. In Jesus' name, amen.